Amen. We're in this series, actually the end of a series, the fourth installment of The Art of War. We've been talking about spiritual warfare, and many of you entered this conversation with a lot of hesitancy. Some of you were a little freaked out, like, oh my gosh, where are we going? And I'm not sure I'm going to like this, but um, I know that in talking to you guys, that we've kind of demystified this thing, man. We've, we've normalized it to an extent to where you can engage in this because a lot of people have not engaged in the battle that is currently happening. War is happening in the spiritual realm, but because even the sound of that spiritual realm and war in heavenly places sounds so abstract, many people that love Jesus have not even engaged or participated in this battle. And for that reason, what we've said is if you're not in the battle, then you're in bondage. There's, there's just too much going around for you not in, to engage with. So one more time, let me define the battle that every one of us are in, the spiritual war that the Bible talks about. Here's what, when, when the Bible says spiritual war and when we're talking about, here's the definition. The spiritual battle is this. It's the fight to believe and obey God's truth over the enemy's lies. That's it, that's what the battle is. There's lies and deception all around us in this world, within ourselves. The enemy is trying to tempt us, to trip us, trip us up. He uses lies and deception, and that's the battle. It's to identify those lies, to take captive the thoughts, bring them into the obedience of Christ with the divine power God has given us to demolish strongholds. But today, we have to turn the corner yet again and cover another element, another approach to spiritual warfare, because if it's all here in demolishing strongholds, let me say it this way, deliverance is not the goal of spiritual warfare, dominion is. God has given you and desires to give you power and authority to go take possession of what he's promised you. You have a purpose from God, a destiny and an assignment from God. And until you both acknowledge that and get to work on that, then you will always be in this place of needing rescue, needing deliverance, never advancing in the things of God and taking possession of the things God has actually promised and made available to you. We've talked about the abundant life that Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life to the full, or abundance, that is available to us, but it doesn't come without a fight. I was reading in the Old Testament, which, for those of you that are kind of new to the Bible, the Old Testament is the first part of the book, explains the history of the Hebrews, the prophets, the, the, um, the, the law, just the character, the nature of God, and how he worked through history, through his people. The Old Testament is a type and a shadow, though. We see a lot of a lot of shadows of the reality that we see in the New Testament and in our relationship with Jesus. I was reading in, in, in the book of Joshua, and, and I was um, just, the Lord just started showing me some things about some of the similarities we're talking about here, the principles and realities of taking dominion in spiritual warfare. Because in, in, in the Old Testament, what God did was, some of you guys know, you maybe watched some of the movies, the Hebrews were enslaved by Egypt. God delivers them from Egypt, and then they spend 40 years wandering in the desert, and then they go in to take possession of this promised land that God promised far in advance to years, generation ago to Abraham. And so we pick up this story in Joshua chapter 1, you guys, where God is now talking to Joshua. Moses has just passed away, and he's giving Joshua this charge to go take possession 
of this land. Look what it says. Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he, uh, he said, the Lord your God will give you the rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. So on this side. But all your fighting men ready for battle. Somebody say ready for battle. The title of today's message is how to get ready for battle. If we're going to take possession of what God has promised us, we got to get ready for the battle of spiritual war. He says, take all these fighting men that are ready for battle. They must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest. And as, uh, as he has done for you, until the day they, they take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. The word there, possession, is dominion. That they were called, God promised them the land. And they went into, crossed over Jordan, started to take possession of that land. But then we see in Joshua chapter 13, like 13 chapters later, the Bible says Joshua is an old man. The Lord says to him, you are growing old. God is just straight up, just to the point. You know what I mean? You are growing old. Let's be real, Joshua. And look what he says, and much land remains to be conquered. When I read that some months ago, this struck me that, that why in the world would would they still have land that yet to be occupied and, and conquered when God promised them that land? He said, go take possession. It's yours. I promise it to you. Yet at the end of Joshua's life, they still had much of the land to be conquered. Here's the principle that we need to apply to spiritual warfare. You don't get what you are promised. You get what you fight for. This is a reality we need to understand because, because there is no welfare in the promised land. There is no welfare in the kingdom of heaven. God doesn't give it to you because you need it. He gives it to you only if you conquer it. Not one inch of territory was given to Israel. They had to conquer it by driving out their enemies. Now, in the wilderness, when they were wandering, they had free stuff all the time. They got free bread and manna, welfare checks and stimulus checks showing up and, and stuff. And, and what that does is it puts you in a posture of like, uh, you get used to it, don't you? You get used to it. And so a lot of people, they think this way in their Christian life that, that God is the one who does it and I just receive it. Man, I do nothing. God does everything for me. But just because God delivered you out of Egypt doesn't mean that's the way it's going to work in the promised land. Just because God had manna show up in the wilderness doesn't mean that's how God is going to give you provision in the promised land. So you have to get out of Egypt where there's deliverance. Go through the wilderness and learn discipline or discipleship so you can enter the promised land where there is dominion. So let me show this to you. Let me show you because it's very important that you understand where you are at in the battle that you are called to fight and advance the kingdom of God. Let me show it to you. Write it down like this. In deliverance, God works for you. How many grateful that God works for you? That there are some things that you and I can't do. God can do and is the only one can do. So God works for you. He delivers you. They were in bondage, in slavery in Egypt, and God rescues them, delivers them. In fact, in Exodus 14, verse 14 is a verse that some of you misquote and misapply all the time. But here's what it says. The Lord will fight for you. You need only what? Be still. See, this is what God says when he's delivering you, when he's fighting for you. But some of you are being still when God has called you to move forward. Some of you are waiting on God when God is waiting on you. He's saying, I've already told you, go take possession of the promise. 
So in deliverance, God works for you. But write this down. In discipline, God works in you. First he works for you, but now he needs to work it in you. Because thank God he took you out of where you used to be. Thank God you're not the same husband you used to be. Amen, men of God. Thank God you're not the same parent you used to be. You're not the same son or daughter you used to be. You're not the same servant you used to be. Leader you used to be. Employee you used to be. But just because he delivered you out of the situation doesn't mean that you don't still have some habits, patterns, and thought patterns that are still inside of you. So let me say it like this. It took one day to get the Hebrews out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Hebrews. There was still some inner working. He may have delivered them from Egypt, but they took some of Egypt with them. It was some long... You were in that habit and that addiction and that relationship for so long. Out of Now you're out of it. God delivered you, but you still got some stuff he needs to get out of you. And there is discipline. There is development. There is discipleship that needs to happen inside of you. In deliverance, God works for you. In discipline, God works in you. But in dominion, God wants to work through you you have to get out of egypt where there's deliverance go through the wilderness where there is discipline so you can enter the promised land where now there is dominion god gives them this large piece of land but they only possessed what they were willing or able to fight for and the moment check this out the moment they started making a covenant with the things that they were called to conquer god's grace stopped flowing in their lives some of you in this room today have made a covenant with things that God has called you to conquer. And I'm telling you, God will not deliver you from that. You've made a covenant. Maybe you've justified. Every man looks at porn. It's not that big a deal. I'm not hurting anybody. Maybe you've justified some things that God has called you to conquer, like that anger in your life. Ah, it's okay. Jesus overturned tables too. I can blow up every now and then. And you're justifying things that God has called you to conquer. And God does not, he's not going to deliver you from that. God delivers you from your enemies. He doesn't deliver you from your friends. But you have to conquer, you have to fight, you have to take possession back. In Egypt, you were needing deliverance, but in the promised land, you are a conquering soldier, fitted with the armor of God to take ground. Some of you are still crying, God, deliver me from the Philistines. Drive out these Philistines, God, fight. No, God's purpose isn't to deliver you in the promised land, it's to empower you in the promised land. Instead of expecting to go from deliverance to deliverance to deliverance to deliverance, what you should do, you need to go from deliverance to discipline and get some stuff out of you so that you can learn how to take dominion. Okay? What we need is power to take possession. And, and, and this, this cry, this battle cry, Joshua tells, take your fighting men ready for battle. There's a similar call to arms that Jesus gives to his disciples in an upper room. A similar Call to arms, a readying for battle. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, but you will receive power. Somebody say power. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. You see this, this similar battle cry here that God is actually giving us authority and power to advance the kingdom, to go take possession of the land that we are living in to the very ends of the earth. Now listen to me. If you're not in the battle, you're in bondage. If you're not taking captive your thoughts and demolishing strongholds, the deception and lies of the enemy, you are in bondage. But check this out. There's another side to this battle. 
If you are not advancing the kingdom of God, living out your purpose and your potential, if you are not moving forward and advancing God's kingdom, you, if you're not in that battle, you're in bondage. You will always be in this cycle of bondage of needing deliverance if you don't get up, get ready for battle, and take possession of what he's promised you. Are you guys seeing this with me, you guys? So how do you get ready for battle? The battle of spiritual warfare, of not just demolishing strongholds, but advancing God's kingdom. Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, we've been looking at that over the course of the last several weeks. There is um, what's called the armor of God that he gives us specifically to take ground from the enemy. Let me show it to you in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. He says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This armor that most definitely the apostle Paul who's writing this is borrowing from these Roman soldiers' equipment and the armor that he's seen of their, of their day. He says, this armor that God has given you is specifically to combat the schemes of the devil in your life. He goes on, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So here's what we're gonna do today. I'm gonna study with you, show you the six pieces of armor that, that God has given us. God has given us this armor to stand our ground, take authority and possession against the enemy's schemes. But every piece of the armor is very specific to a scheme of the enemy. So I'm not, it's very clear what the armor is, but what I'm gonna try to make clear for you today is how that piece of armor combats the scheme, the specific scheme of the enemy in your life. Are you ready for this, you guys? Okay, here we go. Let me give you the scripture first, and then I'm going to give you the, the fill-ins. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, the first piece of armor, he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, the belt in a Roman soldier, their belt wasn't just like to keep their pants up like your belt. Their belt was an integral, central piece to the armor. It, it, it clipped other pieces together. Without the belt, the whole armor falls off the body. It actually is central. The, the weapon, the sword would hang from it. The, the breastplate would clip onto it. It's a central piece. So write it down like this. Number one is we got to put on the belt of truth because Satan is the ultimate truth twister. He's so good at twisting reality, twisting truth. There is a lot of False intelligence that you need to be able to sift through in the world today. We tend to believe a lot of lies. If we aren't careful to put on the belt of truth, those lies will rule our life. We think things like, man, I just need to take care of myself. You know, forget everybody. I don't, I don't need them anyway. That is a lie of the enemy. Twist, it's a twisted truth. Sure, you need to take care of yourself, but that's a twisted truth that becomes a lie of the enemy that will root, bring a stronghold into your life. Some people think, well, the Bible is, is written centuries ago. It's not relevant to some areas of my life. It doesn't apply. That's a lie of the enemy, a twisted truth. The, the truth is, or some people think, truth is relative. What's true for me is not true for you. And what's, you know, that is a lie. Or how about this one I hear? But we love each other, pastor. We're eventually going to get married anyway. A twisted truth. Sure, I know you love each other, but the enemy is twisting the truth to bring a, you're living by a lie that you need the belt of truth on. John chapter 8, 32 says, then you will know the truth, Jesus says, and the truth will set, so look, it's not the truth that will set you free, it's a truth that you know. 
that will set you free. So what do you got to do? I got to study the truth. I got I to gotta, I gotta speak the truth. I have to, ultimately, I got to submit to God's truth. I got to put that on. Judges chapter 21, verse 25 tells of a time that when Israel had no king, it says, everyone did what was right in their, look what it says, in their own eyes. So truth wasn't something from God that I put on and submit to. Truth was something that I perceived by my own assessment. You know, Satan's first attack was deception in the Garden of Eden. And humanity's first response after taking the bait was hiding, denial, blame shifting. It's still the same today. It's still the same. When we see the truth about ourselves, it's painful, isn't it? When someone points out something that's not true in us, it's false in us, ah, it hurts a little bit. See, the belt of truth isn't just about knowing the truth or believing the truth. Please hear this. It's about being truthful with yourself. How do you know that you don't have the belt of truth on? Let me ask you a question. Do you get defensive when God or maybe a trusted person in your life points out the truth to you? Because when you have the belt of truth on, you rejoice in the truth. You don't get defensive with it. Amen, pastor. That was good. Okay, so put on, put on the belt of truth because Satan is that ultimate truth twister. The second piece of armor, verse 14 continues. He says, and put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. Put that in place. That breastplate would cover the vital organs, namely and most importantly, the heart. Number two, put on the breastplate of righteousness because Satan is after your potential. He wants to lie, to deceive. Satan's attack, though, isn't just deception. It's accusation. He wants to weigh your heart down, to infect your heart. He wants to accuse you, bringing guilt and condemnation to your heart. You see, the, the Holy Spirit will convict you. He'll bring conviction that will draw you to the Father. But what Satan does is he counterfeits conviction. And he brings not conviction, he brings accusations. He'll tell you things like, you call yourself a Christian? Oh, you're supposed to be a man of God? Oh, you thought you can change? You'll never be like them. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is demonic. And it's, it's designed it's to drive you into false comforts to soothe your guilt. Instead of going to the Father, you draw to these other things. Like some of you, you go, you go on a shopping spree and go buy a whole bunch of new shoes or something. Because it's too painful, right, to face the truth. You're feeling condemned, and you get a little adrenaline rush from buying a whole bunch of new outfits, and that satisfies you for a while. Or you'll stuff yourself with food in order to, you know, drown your pain with pleasure. And then you kick yourself because you feel so stuffed, and you're just, like, upset for overeating. Or you become the dispenser of personal information in your circles, and you feel significant, um, by, by giving people that information and only to ease your own conscience to talk about other people's guilt because you don't want to deal with yours. Or possibly because of the lies and the condemnation from the enemy, it's bringing you guilt. You try to do more spiritual things. I wonder how many activities and responsibilities we're all doing out of a sense of guilt instead of devotion to God. This breastplate of righteousness that has to be put on, it comes from Christ. I'm clothed in Christ because within our own heart, you and I, we're not righteous. Okay? What, do you know what's in your heart? Before you, don't, like, don't answer the question, but do, do, do you know what's in your heart? Jesus actually tells us what's actually in our heart. In Mark chapter 7, he says this, for it is within, out of a person's own heart, 
That all these thoughts are coming that, that become strongholds in our life. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness and envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these things come from inside and defile a person. But, but, but don't get all depressed here, you guys. This is, why we need the, this is why we need the breastplate of righteousness to be put on. Here's what Ezekiel chapter 26 verse 36 says. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. You see, the evil no longer has power over the one who is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The transaction at the cross is the most wonderful truth in the entire Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 tells us this, that God made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, look at this, we might become the righteousness of God. See, what Jesus did when he died on the cross, he took on our identity as a sinner. And when I put my faith in him, I take on his identity as the righteous son of God. By this transactional death, look, Jesus does two things. The first thing he does is he takes our sins upon himself. He becomes sin for us. But the second thing he does is when we put our trust in Jesus, he not only forgives us of our sin, but he gives us his righteousness. We receive this righteousness the moment we believe in Jesus. So when the enemy comes to you and tells you, see what's in your heart, see how stupid you are, see how you can't change, and you'll never be, you don't have to defend yourself. You have to put on the righteousness of God. It's not by my righteousness that I'm saved. I am righteous in him. It's not what I have done, but what he has accomplished for me. This is an armor, a piece of, your, of the armor of God that, that he's given you and you need to protect yourself. You need to protect your, your heart with the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, the third piece, he says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, that there are some boots that these soldiers would wear, these Roman soldiers, write it down like this, number three, we have to put on these shoes of peace because Satan wants to fill you with anxiety. He wants to weigh you down. These, these, these boots, these Roman soldiers, they would wear these open-toed leather boots. They were nail-studded, though, huge nails. They would look, they would probably more look like these our modern high-top football cleats, you guys. But these boots weren't made for running. These boots weren't made for walking. You know what I mean? It's, they were specifically designed for one primary purpose. These boots were made to give firm footing for hand-to-hand -hand combat against the enemy. That's the, why they were designed. In hand-to-hand -hand combat, the first person to accidentally lose their footing is the guy, he lost, okay? The first person who loses their footing loses the battle. In battling anxiety, it's like fighting an enemy in close hand-to-hand -hand combat in your mind. When you're unprepared, Satan sees that vulnerability. He sees, he sees that fear, the hesitation, the uncertainty, and he uses those for his advantage. A lot of us know what it feels like to lose our footing, and peace just kind of leaves out from under us, and we get overcome by anxiety. Maybe it's a chronic, nagging voice telling yourself you're not good enough, or you'll never will be. Or maybe it's the aftermath of fear and trauma or the violence of loss. Or maybe you struggle with a fear of, of rejection and it makes you blurt out hurtful words before they can ever hurt you. 
Or maybe you exhaust yourself trying to control every aspect of your life and your family's life only to ease the constant worry and anxiety that hovers around the edges of your mind. But what would happen instead of fear and vulnerability, the enemy saw preparation and strength in you? What would happen if he saw certainty, faith, and trust? What would happen if he saw you standing firm in the peace of God? Philippians chapter 4 says it like this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, like, like, like a soldier's boots, nail-studded, firmly placed in the ground, will tra- that transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That this is a piece of the armor that we have to put on the peace of God will give us a firm footing for hand-to-hand combat when battling the enemy that wants to fill us with anxiety. Jesus said it like this in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you like the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus was giving his disciples this encouraging word towards the end of his life where he already told them he was going to leave them, that he was going to die and be crucified. And he's giving them these final words of encouragement that despite the circumstances, there's something available to you. He goes on to say a few chapters later, he says, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's saying, look, even when the trauma, even through the the crisis, even through when everything is, 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 is swirling around, you can have an inward peace that brings confidence and stability. The peace of Jesus that he gives us. He doesn't say, I'm going to remove the pain. I'm going to remove the the trouble. I'm going to remove all your stress. The trouble is inevitable. It's not going to be removed until Jesus comes back again for his church. It ain't going to be removed, but this peace that he offers is a calm. It's an unafraid. It's an unruffled confidence that because we place our hope and trust in him, no matter what, I know my soul is well. It's a peace that gives me firm footing to put on the the shoes of peace that stabilize you in the hand-to-hand combat against the lies of the enemy. Verse 16 says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. He actually gives us the why on this one, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, meaning this, that there are targeted attacks schemes of the enemy that are specifically coming at you intended for you designed to destroy you to kill to uh, still kill and destroy the enemy is doing his flaming arrows are coming at you and the only thing that can extinguish that attack is the shield of faith so write it down number four we have to take up the shield of faith because satan wants to fill you with doubt and temptation but faith, faith is more than just belief. We're told in James chapter 2 that even the demons believe and they tremble. So faith is more than just belief. Faith is an active practice built on belief. Faith isn't ambiguous. It's not unsure. It's a, a concrete conviction. Faith is a present-day confidence in a future reality. And although I don't see it right now, I know it is coming. Faith is solid, unshakable confidence built on the assurance of who God is and what God says. So when I take up my shield of faith, this is what I'm doing, not in your notes. When you take up your shield of faith, you're trusting in God's character. I know who my God is. I know my God is good. My God is faithful. 
I'm taking up my shield. I know he's good. When you pick up the shield of faith, you're trusting in God's promises. I know God. I know what God has said. I know what he's promised my life. It may not look like it right now, but I know it. I'm taking up my shield of faith. When you take up your shield of faith, you're trusting in God's timing. It's not on your time schedule. It's not on my time schedule. But I know God's timing is always perfect. It may not happen when I want it to happen, but it happens in the good time that he planned it to be. So I'm taking up my shield of faith. I think for so many people, though, so many followers of Jesus, we think of the shield of faith as something that is supposed to be that you take up alone. But that is like there's the, the, the metaphor of this shield is so much bigger than that. The Roman shield was, was quite large. It was almost the size of a man. And so, yes, it was for an individual use. But the genius of the shield was it was actually best used when you are marching in formation with other people. These shields were built in a way that they would interlock each other, that, that, that you could protect each other. Uh, with the, they actually had this, this formation called the tortoise formation. And if you've seen 300, you've seen the tortoise formation, okay? Or the phalanx formation, where they would, they would lock together. And although if I'm holding my shield, I, I, you're, you're not protected because you've got a blind side. And you've got a backside. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12 says it like this. The person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Now listen to me. Time out there, man and woman of God, listen to me. You standing alone, when you're not in community, authentic community with other people, I don't care how big your shield is, how much faith you got, how much anointing you got, how much of the Bible that you know, you have a blind side. And you have a backside. And the Word of God says, if you keep standing alone, doesn't matter how strong you are, you can be attacked and defeated. You weren't meant for that. Look what he says. But two can stand back to back and conquer. And three, or even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. If you are serious about this spiritual warfare thing, man, about, about advancing in the assignment, the purpose, and the promises of God in your life, of you going forward, not just being in cycles of needing deliverance, but marching forward to the promise of God in your life, then you need to get some other brothers and sisters around you. You need to get, if you're part of Discovery Family here, you need to get in a small group. Get into a group. And don't hang around people with tiny shields or no shields. Get around people that have big old shields that can cover you. Okay? Some men of God, some women of God, some other couples that are trying to do marriage and parenting God's way, not the world's way. Okay? Get around some people that can link up shields with, because you got a blind side and you have a backside. There's this, we have so many stories of people's lives that have been impacted and changed because of our small groups. But we actually prepared one of them for you to check out today. So watch this video real quick. coming to Discovery, um, well I started, it's been about four or five years now, uh, just actually got back into it here within the last three months. Had a pretty rough childhood upbringing, you know, it was seven of us, you know, siblings raised by just our mom, um, you know, so that's, I kind of tell you a little bit about my upbringing and, uh, you know, and then just recently, you know, when, once I started having my kids and, you know, things changed for the most part, 
you know, being a parent and trying to be a good father, um, it's rough. Before I started coming, before I started coming back again, a few months back, uh, my uh, my wife had been uh, sick for a while, and I uh, I found myself kind of praying a lot more often, you know, like like we always do when we need God, you know. I was also kind of kind of telling them, you know, don't. Don't take her, cause you know, you know what's gonna happen to me. But she ended up passing and going home three months ago, you know. And uh, before she, before she did, she was constantly t telling me, you know, Joseph, just don't. Uh, whatever you do, don't give up on God. You're gonna need Him. You're gonna need Him. What made me? join a small group is because that was something she always told me I needed, you know. Just never listened to it and I always felt like I don't need a bunch of guys to tell me how I feel or what I need or you know. And now I mean it's like I I live with regret sometimes, you know, because she was right all the years she was telling me, you know, because now I I know that if I would have never started coming back to Discovery just to kind of grant her wish, you know, I wouldn't have encountered Jesus the way I have. I wouldn't have joined a small group, you know, and uh felt the, the love, you know, through those bunch of guys that I just never felt I needed to hear anything from, you know. But that's, the, that's the community of, of the real people you need in your life right there. You know, I, I thought I knew everything. I thought I was right. But, uh, man, it'd be... It'd be the biggest blessing and the best decision anybody can make that's hesitating. Just just jump in and do it. Try it. You ain't got nothing to lose, but you got everything to gain. Come on, what a great story is that, you guys. <laughs> Joseph, he discovered something that a lot of people have discovered here at Discovery, and that is that there is uh, there's so much health, freedom, and faith that that is attained through doing life together. Take up your shield, but don't take it up alone because you got a blind side. There are arrows coming at you, but they don't always come directly at you. The enemy is after your vulnerable spots, your blind spots, the weak places. And there are some things that God, he wants to get to you. He's, but he's, he's not, he's not going to give it to you from him directly to you. He's, wait, he's waiting for you to get that promotion, that, that revelation, that, that insight, that breakthrough. He actually is going to give it to the brother in your group. It's going to come through that sister that you develop a relationship with. It's going to come through the other shields that you link your faith with. Take up the shield 
of faith. You'll extinguish those arrows, but don't take it up alone, man. Get in formation and march forward. Take possession of what God has promised you, amen? Next verse, next verse. Two more, two more items. Verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation. This helmet of the Roman soldier will protect the, the brain, the eyes, the ears of which you need every one of those to fight the battle. Verse number five, take on the helmet of salvation because Satan wants to confuse your mind. I love this picture of the salvation covering uh, your mind, your, your eyes, your ears. The picture is this, that everything you experience in your life, every challenge, every, every crisis, every success, and every failure is filtered through your identity in Christ. I don't see this world and interpret this world and experience this world like everybody else does. I am not of this world. I have the helmet of salvation on. I interpret every experience, everything I see, everything I hear, everything I think is interpreted through my lens of salvation in Christ. And I'm seated in heavenly places. In fact, Rome, uh, Colossians chapter 3 says it like this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. How do we do that? You put on every day, you put on the armor of God. Don't forget the helmet of salvation, that as you are talking with your spouse or your kids or you're at work or wherever you're at, your, your every experience that you have is interpreted through your identity in Jesus Christ. Then verse 17 says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, we've talked about the word of God so much in this series and every day in breaking different strongholds. We had 18 strongholds that we, we discussed and, and diagnosed and, and every single one of them is like, here's how you break it. It's the word of God is one of them. I'm telling you that right now. The word of God is the truth to combat the lies of the enemy. But let me show you something else about this sword. Write it down like this. Number six is, that we need to take this sword of the spirit, the sword of the word, because Satan is a liar. This is, this is the truth that combats the lie and the deception. If you don't know the truth, then you, you won't know the lie when it comes at you. This is, this is his tactic. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, he's been twisting and deceiving. He told Eve, did God really say is that what God meant when he said that? You know, is that really, he is a liar and the father of lies. So we need the sword of the word of God to combat the lies of the enemy. But when you see this word, word of God in your Bible, specifically here in Ephesians chapter six, in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, there's actually a few different words for the word, word of God that's used. And I wanna show you the three different words. There's actually three different words that are used of the word of God. The first one is graphe, graphe. That means the writings of God. It's actually the writings, the, the doctrine of God written down, the graphe. That's not the word he uses though, the writings of God. The next word some of you are familiar with is logos, the logos of God. That is the message and the meaning of the written word of God, meaning this, that there is, it's not just words on a page, there is breath and power, there is logos on it, there is, it's not just a book, there is logos, it's the living word of God, okay, but that's not the word that he used, that's not the sword of the word he's talking about, the third word for the word of God is the rhema word of God, the rhema is a specific declaration that comes from the word of God. That it's not just 
word and logos, there's power in it, but where God uses that word to speak specifically, declaring in your marriage, in your kids, in your finances, where it is a specific sword in your heart, the specific declaration. This is the, this is the sword that God says you need to have on your lips, in your hands. You need to have a specific declaration for the enemy's lies. Not just the word, but a specific declaration. In the end times, when the enemy is finally defeated, he's actually defeated by this sword. Revelation chapter 12 tells us the end result of this battle, of the enemy that we have. It says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's another name of Satan, the accuser of the brethren, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him, look at this, by the blood of the lamb and by the what? By the word of their testimony. This is how you're going to overcome the enemy, the accusations, the condemnation, the lies and the deception. It's by the blood of the lamb and by the sword, the word of God on your, the, the, the specific declaration of God that he has given you. That's how you overcome. Hey, we're in a battle. We're in a war and it doesn't have to be mystical. It doesn't have to be confusing. It's a battle to believe and obey God's truth over the enemy's lies. But when God delivers us and he does it for you, you don't need to stay in a cycle of needing deliverance and needing deliverance. No, you need to go on to disciplines, development, and discipleship. You need to get some stuff out of you now, which is why, again, you need to go to a group. Some of you need to go to Celebrate Recovery Group because there are some things still inside of you. God took you out of it, but you need to get it out of you. You got out of that relationship, you got out of that habit, you got out of that lifestyle, but there's still some in you that you need to get delivered. You need to get some stuff out. You need to go through pure desire the, about sexual strongholds. You need to get in a group with some other men or some other women or some other couples and go, you know what? This is what's going on in my life. You need to get some stuff worked out of you so that you can take dominion. You can go take possession of the things that God has promised you.